Hey, I'm Micah. And I'm Jen. From 1994 to 1996, Jen lived in the middle of nowhere, Montana. But not by choice. She was sent to a therapeutic boarding school. I had some issues. While there, she performed hard labor. There was also a lot of forced exercise. Went through daily, hours-long group therapy. That shit didn't work. And when she left, she was left with some holes in her life. Holes? One of the holes was their pop culture hole. Yeah, I missed a lot of shit. And that's a hole we can fill. So move to the country. It's time for... I never saw that. Oh my god, everybody. We are so excited and so honored to be speaking with uh, today's guest. In the context of our podcast, you know him as the lead singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist from the alternative-slash-punk band, The Presidents of the United States of America. But if you have children, and particularly if you live in the Seattle area, you now know him as Casper Baby Pants. We are talking with local legend Chris Ballou. Welcome, Chris! Woohoo, 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 it's Chris Ballou. <laughs> <laughs> Thank oh you so like much. There should be trumpets or something going on. That's perfect. Yes. That, well, Thank that you is very much. How we Thanks feel. for having me, you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, we're yeah. honored and super stoked. So we wanted to talk with you about Presence debut album, obviously, which was a smash success and came out in 1995, which was while I was gone. So for me, I completely missed it. I mean, I I heard the big singles later. Like I knew Peaches eventually and Lump and um, mm-hmm. Kitty. But I feel like this was a pretty significant – I always use the word moment, but that's just – I don't have a better word. But like I feel like you guys just exploded onto the scene and I was not there for it. So we yeah. want to – I was barely there for it. (laughs) (laughs) It was so disorienting and kind of, uh, I don't know. It was a weird mixture of validation and disorientation and uh, foreboding. It was like acceptance and like a doom sensation. It was a very weird combination. Um, And so I kind of feel like I don't, it was such a, dizzying whirlwind i don't really feel like i was kind of there either (laughs) um i look back at some interviews we gave at that time as a a couple times i've gone down a nostalgia wormhole and look back and i I do look kind of dazed yeah Um, (laughs) well i imagine like you were kind of like a sudden huge success right Mm Hmm. yeah yeah we literally played one show i mean we played a whole bunch of shows in seattle but there was one show in particular and it was during a big festival weekend here in Seattle called Bumbershoot. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't at Bumbershoot. It was at a club away from that part of town. Oh, okay. And somehow the buzz had gotten out about us. Uh-huh. And I didn't know this, but in the audience were representatives from seven major labels. Holy wow. shit. I didn't know. Luckily, wow. I didn't know. And we yeah. just did our usual stupid show. <laughs> And literally the next day, we had seven <laughs> offers from seven major labels, and uh, you know the we were the the wild pony was let out of the corral, <laughs> <laughs> and we had to grab on and yeah. hold on to its short hairs while it pooped gold bricks. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't expecting that at That's that amazing. point. I mean, you had worked for a long time in the industry and been in bands and played for a long time, yeah. but you weren't thinking the presidents is gonna take me to that next level 
No, I wasn't. I really wasn't. Well, it was just that, another. And to me, it was just another in a long line of fun things to do with my friends. Yeah. Kind of. And uh, yeah. Well, that comes through in it, too. And I like actually my favorite song on the album is We Are Not Going to Make It. Yes. Uh, which I just it makes me laugh every single time I hear <laughs> you sing the part. Um singers who can drum and singers who can sing yeah <laughs> um, my daughter and I actually who is seven uh we have been cracking up at that over and over because it's so I felt like me, that's probably how you actually felt at the time and then <laughs> and then surprise yeah. surprise uh people loved what you were doing yeah I can't claim ownership of that song actually that is a cover oh of, it is yeah it's covered of a song that was sort of a tentpole song for this funny band from my college days called Tracy Lord's Ex-Lovers. Okay. This guy, Ben Reiser, who was a film student, um, I'm pretty sure he was a film student, he had this punk rock band, mm -hmm. and they were all really bad players except for the lead guitar <laughs> player, who was amazing. He was just like this ripping dude from Long Island or something. <laughs> and uh, this is in New York. Um, and that was one of their great songs. And I always loved, as a habit plucking the one great song from a band you'll never hear from again yes. and then keep it keeping it alive yeah by kind of giving it new life so that was my um goal with that one was like that song can't die you know, it's, so, kinda, it's so good and yeah. it's great too because it is like it's that short rock and punk rock song that i i have a great affinity for too um, yeah so was the false start in the original also it, no, no. The false okay. start is just us. You okay. know, it's just me. I hit, I kind of stumbled on a note right at the beginning of the song. And I was like, ah, I'm not going to go through the whole take thinking about how to fix that stumbled note. Let's yeah. just do it again. And then we're like, well, it kind of fits the song to have a false start. Cause, <laughs> perfect. You know, and, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I would have thought that was planned. And then the EMI call out at the end is perfect too. It's very oh, Sex right. Pistols. Yeah. Oh the yeah, whole sure, thing. sure. Yeah. <laughs> EMI. Yeah. I am them. Yeah. So good. So good. I always loved that. But I mean, too. the whole album is amazing. Of course. Thank you. Yeah, it was a very weird sounding album to make it onto the charts. Another reason why I thought we would literally not make it, or you know, whatever you want to say, call it, but. Um, such a bizarre sounding album. The kick drum sounds like a heavy metal kick drum to me. It has this like clicky sound and mm. the instruments are really thin and weird and rubbery and the vocals <laughs> are loose and chaotic. And mm -hmm. I don't know, it just, it really did function, I guess, as an anecdote to all the slick and loud and, you know, slushy, dirgy yes. stuff. And even the slick pop. I remember being in Hawaii on my honeymoon in October of 95 when the album was, on the charts and watching MTV, some top 10 list on MTV. And we were right in between like <laughs> Janet Jackson and Destiny's Child. 
That is love it. How did I end up in that sandwich? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But what an honor, also. Oh Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because so this was like this was the post grunge era. Like it's, and I feel like post grunge basically started the day after Kurt Cobain died, right? Like that's when people started calling music post grunge instead of grunge. And I I do feel like the world was needing what you had to offer at that time because what made you guys so great was that you you were such good musicians and you had really great songs and you rejected that kind of like angsty painful stuff that was just everything of the preceding years and i frankly like i was gone at this time but i really could have used that <laughs> in my life mm-hmm. like in 95 when this came out um so i particularly really appreciate that because um yeah everything that i was listening to before I left was Dark oh, just so and edgy and angsty and very yeah. yes, all of that. Um Yeah, which which has its place. Of course, and, yeah. Um, and know. I love it but, still. You know, you can't have the hills without the valleys. It's kinda yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta have the low for the high, the dark for the light. Mm-hmm. All that stuff is true. And um so in that sense, you know, we were the light and out of the dark and then yes. it goes back and you know, so it is not it's not surprising to me that we couldn't sustain the uh momentum that we created because you know another another valley came along and swept yeah. everybody into it and we were a hill so right <laughs> um, so yeah uh but also there is for me anyway there's plenty of, like knowing where all the songs came from and coming out I, you know that album happened in my well how old was i when we made that i was in my late 20s okay and my 20s were pretty screwed up pretty Mm -hmm. dark Mm -hmm. and um tortured and not good yeah and so i hid angst easter eggs in those Mm -hmm. songs for myself (laughs) they were about like candy is a very angsty song Mm -hmm. for me you little yellow sweetie you were hiding in a jar my mind is gone completely take off the lid and there you are you're my candy candy. i always kind of wrap my angst in uh you know, Easter egg colors and silliness. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but there it's, for me, it's in there. We have been talking about this album a lot this week. And the thing I love about it is that there are, there is an edge there. There's like innuendo and there are other things. There's a hint at darkness for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 There's innuendo for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was also into all the, the cool hip pretentious rock and the grunge angsty stuff. But I love that, the genuine feeling from this album and from all your music that I've heard, it's mm-hmm. just so honest and sincere and unpretentious. And I think that's why it works. You're also, you were amazing musicians that played very tight, well-crafted, well-written songs. And so it all works together really well. And I remember listening as a kid growing up in Oregon, we had, there was an alternative AM station called The Beat for a little while. And you guys got a lot of airplay on there. <laughs> and I remember hearing the songs back to back with like the, you know, new rock alternative stuff, but it all worked somehow. And it, 
it was a fun little respite. And it was also like my my son and I were listening the other day to Peaches. He's really into Peaches now. And he's just fascinated by the <laughs> fact that this is Casper Baby Pants playing these songs from a long <laughs> yeah. time ago. Um, but we were talking about like, oh, yeah, this part's called The Bridge. Because he kept saying, this is totally different. Is this the same song? And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, now it's going to get really fast and it's going to build and get hard. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, look out. <laughs> he loves that. Look <laughs> out! Yeah, there's, I mean, my ex experience with uh, the presidents and Casper and the relationship between the two is that the whole time I was doing the presidents, I had this sensation that it was not my final stop, mm -hmm. that it was a stepping stone, even though it was really successful and globally connecting with people and everything. I had this gut feeling, this little message somewhere deep down that said, keep going, you're not done. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was kind of like, really, little voice in my bed? Can I just stay here and be a rock star? <laughs> right, like, right. Nope, you got to keep rolling. So um, on the side, I was looking for whatever that other thing was for 15 years while the president's, you know, right away I started looking because the message happened immediately. I yeah. immediately want, like, was like, oh, my God, this is so scary and weird. And mm -hmm. plus, like you, the the angsty thing we were talking about, the way the, I always look at it like the presidents and Casper are really the same thing, except <laughs> like the core is the same. Yeah. It's this innocent, childlike, fun, silliness. Yes. But then the presidents added layers of innuendo uh -huh. and loud guitars and loud drums and adultness and yep. whatever, sexuality. Mm -hmm. And Casper doesn't add those layers. It's just right. the in, innocent core. Yeah, that's... And it turns out that's what was not feeling comfortable for me because the chemistry that allowed that first record to happen was, you know, a decade of, of weird experiences and bizarre girlfriends and drugs and, you know, living in, <laughs> living in squalor and eking by and, but then the humor kind of poking through all that darkness. Yeah. Um, and the, and the humor and the darkness lent each other gravitas and made each other work. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then once that was figured out and once we were successful, I didn't have that chemistry anymore. And I knew that it was unrepeatable. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like doing a painting with your eyes closed and everybody goes, oh, that painting is great. Do a thousand more. I'm like, I can't. Uh, I just, what? Yeah. Right. So, um, so it's way more comfortable now with Casper because I, the thing I realized is I don't have that um, chemistry in my tool belt or whatever to write those songs endlessly and mm -hmm. so the pressure was on and that was kind of uncomfortable yeah and it was obviously unrepeatable so anyway now with casper i just feel like i'm swimming in these super innocent waters and it is water is warm and fun and happy and <laughs> sustainable and i've got my 16th album coming out in oh my god i was gonna ask yeah wow. awesome you know i don't have and i there's no end in sight i've got enough songs already recorded for two more records let wow. alone written so. Yeah, because it does seem like it. Do, you do seem like an unstoppable machine, as Casper Baby Pants. Like we are, so our kids have they lived on Casper Baby Pants when they were like in their earliest years. Um, and honestly, and I am not just saying this to flatter you, but like 
we listened to so much of it because I genuinely enjoyed listening to it. Like yeah. I love Casper Baby Pants songs. And when I listened all the way through, like in preparation for this interview, when I listened all the way through to Presidents, I was like, well, no wonder I fucking love Casper Baby Pants because it's the same thing. It's yeah. essentially the same thing. Like you were always a children's musician. You were singing songs about bugs and like Dune yep. Buggy. To me, Dune Buggy is just, and I don't know, like, You'll have to tell me if there's darkness to it. And no, there's but, no darkness to that one. Little dune bugger in the sand. A little blue dune bugger in my hand. Yeah, but it it really just seems to me like another version of like poor little broken truck. Poor little broken truck. Beep beep. beep. Ran all out of gas and got stuck. Poor little broken truck beep, beep, beep. ran all out of gas and got stuck. Used to haul rubber ducks, yellow, orange, blue, and pink. Used to haul sippy cups so you don't drip and spill your drink. Used to haul teddy bears so cute you could hear them roar. But not no more. No, not no more. Sure. I, and I love that. Like it was so. Because I'm one of those, because I was gone for this, it's sort of, I'm, I think I'm kind of unusual of our generation because I had heard, like I said, I had heard some present songs, but I really became familiar with you through Casper Baby Pants first, which was <laughs> sort of the reverse of how most people my age discovered you, you know? So yeah, um, it, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. it was really interesting to me because to, to so many people, you are this giant rock star. And to me, I know that about you, but my experience with you is this like joyful children's musician who writes these really amazing songs and who is like, we've come to see you live several times who just like, you always seemed really approachable. And anyway, so I, it's just interesting to me. I just have a different relationship with your work than I think, I think most people do. But You're like our children. In a way, am, like you're I discovering am... presidents with them now. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm wide-eyed <laughs> yeah, and innocent yeah. like like a child. Yes. And they really, yeah. we used to have a playlist on our phones because our, our first, our son was hard to get to sleep. So we did a lot of driving around to get him to sleep when he was a baby. And we would listen to, we had a playlist called Casper Sleepy Pants. Mm -hmm. um, ah, nice. Before you did the Lullaby album where we just pulled sure. out some of those and um... yeah oh that's great that's good to know because i always encourage people to do that because there's a lullaby there's another lullaby record hidden in the end of all the records oh the yeah. last track is the last track take the last track from every record and you can curate oh, your own beautiful because yeah, i have two lullaby records out but there's a third yeah. hidden in the records oh <laughs> i love that okay yeah, we'll have yeah. to... So yeah. I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you, though. No, Go no, it's there. just our kids still sometimes when we're on road trips or driving back from somewhere late, they'll ask for Casper Sleepy Pants. Mm -hmm. um, oh, nice. Just to That's listen great. to those yeah. songs. And we know all the words. And it is really, I remember when we moved up to Seattle in 2010, and we were starting to discover your new music. And we had kids, and we were listening to all this stuff and telling friends, hey, Remember Presidents of the United States? That guy has a new thing that he does, and it's children's music. And our friends that didn't have kids were like, oh, yeah, I don't listen to children's music. But we were like, but it, it's so good. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but you really should, though. It's really, really good. Like, I'm only listening to children's music yeah. because... And there's so much bad stuff out there, but this is amazing. Right, yeah. No, wow, it's... thank you. That, that really means a lot. I mean, 
uh, honestly, I don't really actually feel like I make kids' music. I make yeah. parents' music. Right. What I, <laughs> when I'm making it, like 85% of the decisions are for the parents. That um, makes I only perfect think about sense. the kids about 15% of the time. <laughs> well, that <laughs> makes perfect more, sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that's, I mean, it's because working. It's, you know, if you think about it, no child has ever bought one of my albums. It's yep. always, it's all the parents. Yeah. And I, you know, I feel really, really strongly that, um, music for a family should make the family all want to be in the same room. Yes. You know, that music that makes the parents want to run away screaming into another part of the house should not be that, released. Yes. That is such a good point. <laughs> well, because with thank the, you for that. <laughs> yeah, for real, man, Welcome. because it would have been miserable without you. Um, and I mean, really, I can't think of any other. I mean, Elizabeth Mitchell does some beautiful yeah, yeah. stuff. She's a, she's a real inspiration for me. When I started getting into this, I became aware of her immediately. And she sort of set the bar for me about how subtle you can be yeah. and how kind of... Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, a little more like under uh, soft spoken, but uh-huh. still interesting. Uh-huh. Now, her stuff has a certain tenderness and intimacy to it. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to do stuff like that, but I also wanted to get, you know, a little more technicolor. And yes, um, I like to paint with all the colors in the paint box as far as like <laughs> horns and strings and yeah. guitars, basses and drum machines. And yeah. that was one thing about being in a rock band that really did not agree with me was mm. the limited palette. Like, mm. okay, here's a song. Now the song has to be played by these three people with these three instruments. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, right. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Right. But there's so many other instruments. Yeah. 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 So I, I kind of learned from being in the presidents that I'm not supposed to be in a band, that I'm like, <laughs> I'm definitely more of a visual artist when it comes to making a song. Mm-hmm. I like painting a picture and I don't always want to use the same colors, you know? So yeah. I've got to, so it was really liberating to move on and kind of, I did presidents and Casper at the same time for about six years. And that was about to, I was about to explode with <laughs> exhaustion. <laughs> Cause you, you guys toured like five years ago, right? Presidents still? Oh, we toured up until we broke up in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. We okay. broke up in the summer of 2015. Okay. So, but okay. up until then, I mean, the last couple of years were pretty sparse, but um, yeah, no, we were going to Europe every year and, yeah. and you know, doing the whole thing. That's a lot. Yeah. I, I had a question about that actually, about your songwriting process, because we've talked about how the songs, some of the songs have very similar themes and a lot of bugs and things like that. But <laughs> a lot of bugs. As far as working with a band and writing music, with a band versus writing music for yourself or by yourself. Um, how much has that changed and what's the same? About being with a band and being by myself? Yeah. Just the songwriting process. Oh, oh. Yeah, I didn't do very much songwriting with the band at all. Um, Dave Dieterer was really good in the early days at editing me. Mm. Um, I needed a lot of editing. I couldn't tell when an idea was good or not, or how long to do something or where to put the bridge or, Mm. you know, when the song needed to move in a different direction. And he really had a good sense of that. And I learned a lot from him. But then once I learned it, I felt like I didn't need another person to tell me that stuff anymore. (laughs) I mean, I've always written tons by myself. I just write by myself, write, 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 write. And then I get together with people and show them what I've written and see what sparks. Mm -hmm. I mean, back when I did bands. Yeah. Um, But then, yeah, occasionally, um, 
the band would write stuff. And then in, on our very last record, Kudos to You, which came out in 2014, I mm-hmm. think, um, that record I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to walk in with fragments of songs or songs that didn't work for years and and be really open to them being torn apart by the band uh-huh. and then reassembled by the band and let the band be a uh, songwriting force. And that was really relaxing. And that, al- that album has a shitload of energy. I don't know where I got <laughs> all that energy from. Man. I kind of <laughs> knew it would be our last. So I was just like, I just want to go out with an explosion. Nice. So, I haven't uh, heard it. So we'll, I'll have to check it out. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a loudie. In fact, the, the <laughs> guitar is so loud, and it's generally in the right speaker, I think. So I mm. always have to pan the entire mix to the left a little bit when I listen to it because <laughs> wow. it's a lot of guitar. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, uh, I've just always written by myself. I, mm-hmm. as I, I'm doing visual art now a little bit, and as I work on art, I have this ginormous playlist of all the music from my entire life, like – Oh, Everything wow. from, you know, a handheld tape deck recorder playing for 20 seconds, some little banjo part or something to full mm-hmm. songs and um, collaborations with people. And I put that on random and just kind of go around. And wow. I'm just struck by how uh, how much I really did work by myself. Yeah. There's so much I recorded by myself that nobody will ever hear <laughs> 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 except me. It's like I'm the only one that gets to listen to this crazy jukebox of my own mind (laughs) yeah that's amazing though yeah it's pretty fun so speaking of collaborations you did you were on beck's you were the guitarist and bassist for beck's album one foot in the grave right yeah i was on well one foot in the grave was my audition kind of to be in this band yeah oh so i met beck because he and an old friend of mine mary lou lord shared oh yeah uh pub they shared a, not a publicist, um, a publishing, a publisher. Hmm. Oh, okay. I think it was. And so Mary Lou became, um, aware of Beck through the buzz around him when he was getting signed. And she heard that he was, he needed musicians to be his backup band because he was going to go on tour because he's getting signed. And he's just a guy, you know, literally living in like a cardboard box and working at a video store. Mm-hmm. Um, so she thought of me and called me and was like, you got to meet this guy, Beck. He's right up your alley. You guys are like painting with the same paintbrush and you got to get in there. <laughs> and it was, you know, it's as if somebody called you and said, hey, there's this new guy, you know, Schlinky Minky, and he's going to be huge. And, you got, and I was like, I don't, I don't I got, I'm happy doing my own thing. Yeah. So I, yeah. I ignored her. And then like two months later, she called me again. I was like, no, no, no. You seriously have to meet this guy. We're coming. To, he's coming to Seattle. Um, I'll introduce you and all that stuff. So yeah. we met and I watched him play live by himself with an acoustic guitar and man, it was awesome. Yeah. Like his lyrics are so thick and weird and so surreal. So weird. And yes. Collage-y and uh, like a movie went off in my head mm-hmm. while, while I was listening to him and we hit it off and he invited me down to Olympia where he was making that record. And literally my audition was walk into the studio, hey, play slide guitar on this song. And I've never heard the song. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. And I walked in and just did it. And I'm not a slide guitar player, <laughs> but that's, that's what he wanted was somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Kind uh-huh. of. 
Yeah. That... So, uh, yeah, and, you know, long story short, we hung out for a bunch of days and got along. And then he called me once I got back to Seattle and invited me to go out on the road with him. And uh, it was one of those life changing like, oh, I have a job making music yeah. and touring with a signed artists. Yeah. So I did it. I did two tours and the presidents had already started. And by the end of the second tour, it was kind of obvious that there were aspects of our aesthetics, me and Beck, that didn't really match. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I wanted to get back to the helm of the presidents. So I quit and went back and he went on. Yeah. And we both went on. And then we, had, we ended up sharing the stage a couple of times at like radio, you know, those radio sponsored smorgasbord uh-huh. shows where it's like everyone from uh, you know, Jewel to Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> to name a couple bands you've probably never heard. <laughs> anyway, well, we unfortunately, those... I've heard Limp Biscuit. But... <laughs> uh, yeah, we ended up sharing bills together a little bit here and there. So that was super fun. Yeah, that's cool. I am from Olympia, actually. I grew up in Olympia. So I was ah. familiar with the uh, K Records kind of sound yeah. and aesthetic in that album. Is very K That's records. Where that record was at Calvin's house. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. The, the the studio you mentioned was his like garage, right? At that time, it's basement. Basement. It's basement. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So going, I want to go back to your to the President's album for a minute. Um, do you have a favorite song from that? Ooh, do I have a favorite song? Right off the top of my head, it's going to be Lump. Okay. Because. I never was anything but totally full of joy and presence of mind when we played that song live. Mm. That song never got stale to me yeah. in the slightest. It was like every time we played it, it was like a bomb going off in my mind. I loved it. She's locked, she's locked, she's in my head. She's locked, she's locked, she's locked, she might be dead. That's amazing. That is yeah. amazing. I did. I just read something. I don't know if it was a, the interview you did with Vice a while back, but where you said that you, oh, it was about Beck, I think. You were talking about how Loser, how he hates Loser, mm. but was stuck with yeah. it because it was such a huge hit and that you guys were like, let's not make any songs we don't like because if it becomes yeah. a hit, then <laughs> yeah, we're stuck yeah. with or it. Or at so. least let's not release them, you know? Right, yeah. of course. Yeah, you can you're make gonna... them, but then we have to be honest. And that has yeah. really uh, stuck with me even to this day. When I'm making a Casper album, I um, am brutal as far as the final analysis of a song. Is this song really a tight little thing that is um, worthy of being on an album. And if I have a gut feeling or some sensation that it's not right, then I just take it off and Mm -hmm. file it away and wait for it to work itself out. But, um, it's all, it all stems from watching him squirm. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that that must've been eye opening too, like touring with him and then having that happen to you. Like we talked before. Oh Yeah. 
It was great. It was like being in fame school. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It was remarkable. I mean, I lived with him in L.A. too because I was the only band member not from L.A. and he let me live with him to at least when we prepped for the first tour. Yeah. And uh, so he and I drove around L.A. endlessly talking about his transition and and whenever he had to do like a radio show or some performance where he was going to be solo, I would tag along with an acoustic guitar or a banjo or whatever Mm -hmm. I had in our bag of tricks and um there's a really good uh live on kcrw where beck and i are kind of like a duo we're like mm. a little little side band mm. <laughs> oh i have and, to uh, check that out yeah, I'd love yeah to hear i that. don't know if it's up on the internet or anything i found a cassette in my i just finished like a 20-year project of digitizing my world of cassettes oh wow, wow. Uh, i found that in there but um i don't it might be out there in the world somewhere but yeah. it's it's good yeah, I'd love to hear that. That sounds yeah. amazing. So he, I learned a lot from watching him. It was like standing next to a tornado and then getting <laughs> to get into my own tornado. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I read that I wanted to talk about um, that I thought was really interesting, when you guys were being courted by some of these labels, you met with Maverick and Madonna gave you some advice um, that I thought was really interesting. If you want to talk about that at all. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great moment, actually. Um, For some context, when I got to New York uh, for art school, she was all over the radio. I mean, I thought (laughs) there was a point when I thought, that's it. The radio is never going to play anything but Madonna. (laughs) (laughs) I remember just thinking, God, and I actually liked it. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. I was like, these are really well crafted songs. Yeah, it's just when you hear it seventy times yeah. in a weekend, right? Uh, it, it, literally, you could open your dorm room window and poke your head out, and people's radios were just playing Madonna all over the Always. place. But um, yeah, she was kind so, of everything. So yeah, for she while. she um, it came down to Maverick, her label, and Columbia. It was down to those two, and so she was seriously in the running. Hmm. And we went to her offices for a meeting. And she had come to see us at the Dragonfly in L.A. the night before. And she had that classic, like, <laughs> sunglasses and baseball hat. And oh, my God. <laughs> like, like, don't look at me because I'm famous. Right. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not like inconspicuous the, at all. <laughs> yeah. It's the famous person who doesn't want to be seen costume. Right. <laughs> So she totally had that on, and I almost called her out, but I was like, "Man, I'll let her, I'll let her uh, have her time." And so we met with her the next day, and she was really insightful and uh, sort of accurate with her sort of assessment of our thing. Like mm. she's like, "You guys obviously really work hard at what you do, and you care about it, and yet you appear not to care." And that's very appealing and. She got, you know, a lot of our aesthetic and we had a really pleasant meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a longer version where I was terrified twice, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I need to go into that. Maybe after this horror yeah. story. Um, yeah, I mean, I so, want to hear it. Whatever you want to share. She took me aside after the meeting, kind of as I remember it, and said, hey, if you, you know, whether you sign with us or not, you should know that because your music is fun and funny, mm-hmm. you will never receive critical acclaim for your craft. Mm. Like you'll never get acknowledged as being a great songwriter right. or anything like that because you're fun. So don't expect it and just enjoy what you get. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. and she turned out to be, it turned out to be totally true. And it saved me some anguish, especially because yeah. Columbia, you know, the people we worked with at Columbia and at, um, 
and our publishers and stuff like that, they did kind of pour on thick the like, you're an important songwriter. And <laughs> they kind of set us up to feel like we did have that, uh-huh. um, you know, cachet. But the regular press and critics and people ne- w- didn't give us that. So mm. if Madonna hadn't mentioned that, I would have been stuck in a, a it could have yeah. been, I don't know, a distracting, destructive Absolutely. way of considering our careers when we, if we got like really, you know, distracted by the idea that we're important and yes. we're, you know, I don't know. Right. I, I love that she, um, that she told you to just do your thing instead of being like, you're going to have to stop being funny or you're going to mm-hmm. have to make your songs fit this certain mold in order to be Mm -hmm. successful like she was like don't do that like obviously what you're good at and what you want to do is this other thing and i i think that's really cool yeah yeah that is cool she was a you know she was a trailblazer nobody looked Uh, like her before she came along so she gets she got the idea of like making your own path and all that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but i did almost kill her dog (laughs) (laughs) is that the terrified part of the story there's two so the other (laughs) the other details of the story are we were waiting for her to show up and it was a sunny day in LA surprise surprise and yeah. um we had a little nerf football with us that we were using to kind of relieve tension and get a little mm-hmm. exercise with and so we went out in the parking lot kind of in the interior part of the building complex of Maverick Records and we we're tossing this football around and then some intern opens the glass door to the hall that leads to the hallway to the offices and pokes his head out and says hey she's here come on in now and everybody files in, but I'm kind of taking my time, throwing the football up in the air and catching mm-hmm. it. And everybody disappears. And I kind of look at the open door into the hallway and I think, could I throw the ball to myself <laughs> in the hallway? Could I like kind of hop into the threshold and catch it? And I did that. And when I caught it, I felt something next to my foot. And I had on these really thick leather boots. And so this whatever it was next to my foot was very next to my foot to feel it, these leather boots. And I looked down oh, no. and it was her dog. <laughs> oh, man. And I came within molecules of crushing her chihuahua. And at the time, <laughs> the chihuahua was all she had. She didn't have kids or anything. Yeah. If she did a, you know, if she was on the cover of Vanity Fair, it was her and the chihuahua or whatever. Yeah. And I, so I knew this chihuahua and I looked down and it was looking up at me and shaking. And Holy it was, I mean, its head was the size of tennis ball this thing would have like just been a bag of bones oh if i stepped on God. it and it's thinking and the, i'm gonna ruin your career yeah and i'm in a totally <laughs> empty hallway like there's oh nobody God. there there's oh, no doors there's no windows there's no artwork and the dog just walked away and walked around the corner and i just oh took a breath and so followed no one ever <laughs> knew no one ever knew except I've told the story, you know, well, several sure, times. sure. But I mean, yeah, like she did. Yeah, yeah. The dog, no, it wasn't like the dog <laughs> told on you. <laughs> <laughs> but then I went around the corner and I went in the office and she still wasn't there. And so we're still waiting. And I got bored and I got up and I, there's, you know, the shelves in the office are full of, uh, I think they were LPs and books. And so I'm kind of perusing the stuff on the, shelves with my back to the door and the rest of the room and she must have snuck in and put her hand to her lips saying you know shh to everybody else or something because she walked in nobody said anything <laughs> and she walked right up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder and i turned around and madonna was like two oh inches from my face <laughs> oh my <laughs> wow. god and then i went and that was the second time i went <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so yeah, before that's... we 
sat down to talk, I had two near death, two like, you know, death defying experiences. Wow. <laughs> I was going to say, it's really cool that she was so hands on and so involved. And like, she went yeah. to see you guys and she was there meeting with you and obviously really interested and involved. But it's also, it sounds like she really enjoyed that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She did. She seemed like she was funny. She yeah. was funny and she was smart. And, but yeah. you know, uh, while we were waiting for her at one point, her assistant, Guy Osiri, played us the cassette of this new sign that they did from, or signing that, that they did from Canada, and it was Alanis Morissette. And oh. of course, Alanis Morissette blew up. Yeah. And if we had signed with Madonna, of course, our aesthetic would have been lost in the story of mm-hmm. girl power. And um, as it was with Columbia, as I remember it, we were kind of the the, you know, the band that saved their bottom line for a year and a half. So oh, wow. we, were, we were kings of the castle over yeah. there. So it ended up working out fine. Yeah. So that's great. It definitely yeah. did. Of course, so, Columbia ended up stealing a million dollars from us. What? But yeah, we audited them eventually. Oh, no and way. they stole a million dollars. Yeah. What? Like they just didn't pay you? Yeah. Oh, well, that's shitty. Wow. <laughs> I know. There's they were shitty. I yeah. mean they were really weird people. Well, cocaine yeah. wasn't cheap in the nineties. So. No, it's not cheap. I mean, you know, you gotta, I felt bad for them. You gotta skim yeah. where you can. Yeah. <laughs> so now I have my own record label and I steal from myself all the time. <laughs> yeah. And we but won't talk for, about where that's for going. juice boxes yeah. instead of coke. Yeah, yeah. juice boxes. Yeah. So uh when I was introduced to this album, I was seventeen years old and my brother who had lived in Seattle during the early 90s, um, was always really into music. He was 12 years older than me, so he was he had introduced me to a lot of music throughout my life and a lot of my influences. Um, but I clearly remember sitting down at his house with this CD and him showing it to me and saying, you have to hear this band. This is like the perfect music <laughs> because my brother wow. was so silly, mm-hmm. um, but he was so into music. Like the... The Talking Heads were one of the big ones that he was a huge fan of that he got me into. Um, but he listened to all kinds of stuff. And the Talking Heads are similar in a way, too. Like, they can be very silly. They have a sense of humor, for sure. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and have a sense of humor. Yeah. And, but this album was so in his wheelhouse. It was perfect for him. It was genuine. It was sincere. It it reminds me of a lot of things that I loved about him. And, excuse me, um, <laughs> I'm getting That's emotional okay. because he passed away in 2002 and yeah, this album is really special to me because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I appreciate that, man. I mean, I'm sorry about your brother, and uh, I know how painful that is. I lost, thank you. Uh, I lost my musical father mm-hmm. in 1999, and uh, I think about him all the time. And I know how tough it is mm-hmm. to lose somebody like that that you're so connected to through music. Yeah, and I'm really proud to be have made music that fosters those kind of connections and. Uh, you know, not to be looping it all the way back to Casper all the time, but I feel that a lot now. Like people um, really tell me that the music is connecting them to other people and to their kids. And yeah, that's kind of like I feel like songs aren't the real um, p- point of the whole thing. Songs are like a hammer you use to drive the mm. nail and the nail is human <laughs> connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you songs are just a, like facilitators Mm -hmm. to produce joy and connection you know and i always think of like 
in the presidents, especially with playing live, I always thought the song is this invisible waveform or like pulse or whatever that's making this room uh, elevate and making everybody mm. smile and making everybody feel connected. But the, so the song isn't the point. It's that is the point. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that old Buddhist thing. It's like the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon or something. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly mm -hmm. how it goes, but it's all about like, you know, I don't know, see, seeing the seeing the energetic uh, aspect of what you're doing mm -hmm. and recognizing that the path to it is not the destination, but the, yeah. um, I don't know, the and a connection and joy is the destination. Yeah. I hope that makes, hope that makes sense. No, it makes perfect oh, it sense. It absolutely does. It's exactly what like my brother and I shared in that moment and what you and your audience share and like in live shows and in recorded music. And I, like and my what brother we... would have loved Casper baby pants. Oh my God. He would have been yeah. up there dancing and wiggling and being silly. <laughs> he would have been a huge fan. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So it's, and it's exciting to listen to it with my kids and have that connection now too. Right. Because it's like this generational thing. And I love what you said earlier about how you write family music. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's parent, well, parents' music. I, parents. I actually, not even fam family. Fam not even, well, the kids. it really is family but the the it's like family and it's a, a mixture of parents and kids music and then it makes family music yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean but what i would i would argue just going back to your your point about the song just being the vehicle to connection that it takes a certain kind of song to be able to make that kind of connection you know i mean so i I don't make connections with people necessarily about just any song, <laughs> mm -hmm. but the songs yeah, you write yeah. are, you know, I feel like they really. Oh, oh yeah. That's, that's what makes it endlessly challenging. Is yeah. That, uh, you can sit down and write a song in five minutes. Sure. Yeah. 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 But will that song have some sort of life force outside of making you smile in your living room? Way? Like I'm working on a song right now called the pickle has a plan. <laughs> And <laughs> sounds amazing already. I love it. Yeah, yeah, I love it already. And it is a very weird song. It's like it's a very weird structure. Uh, it has four verses mm -hmm. and then a chorus and then a solo and then the chorus and that's oh. it. It's gone. Maybe not even a solo. I'm not sure, but interesting. I'm, I'm tracking it today, actually. <laughs> oh, but um, it I you know I'm sort of throwing up my arms, my hands with this song. Cause I've had this song around forever under a different title and could never figure out how to fix it. And then last night, Katie and I were watching a movie and they started talking about pickles and I was like, <laughs> Oh, I can put a pickle in that song. <laughs> and it'll be perfect. Cause I always walk around singing about pickles. I don't know why. And I don't have a pickle song. Here I am. 16 That's records, ridiculous. I got no pickle song. The hell are you doing with <laughs> my, your life? my default improv is always about pickles. <laughs> Wow. So anyway, I'm working on this song and it's so abstract and weird, but I, and the challenge is, do I allow it to be abstract and weird and not try to explain it too much? And is the, maybe the, um, like Lump, Lump mm -hmm. is a song about exactly what it says it's about. Mm -hmm. And everybody's always like, what is Lump about? Right. Like, it's right there. It's in the lyrics. Let me scratch that question off my list. Code. It is literally about nothing except what I'm singing about, but it's simultaneously intriguing because yeah. you don't believe that that's what it's about. Right. So there's this weird like uh, push and pull, or how much how much story do you allow in the song, mm -hmm. and when does too much story make it 
something you never need to hear again because you get it. You know, it's right. like it's uh, there's no um, mystery. There's no mystery about it. Yeah. Really. But so the song I'm working on today has a lot of mystery and might have too much mystery. <laughs> too much mystery then nobody cares because no, everyone's like, I don't know. You know, that didn't do anything for like, me at all. What? So What was that nonsense? Yeah. So, right. yeah, it's that's the thing is I that's why I have thousands and thousands of hours of fragments because mm-hmm. um I figure always record the fragments and then wait for the uh, logical or the the craft part comes later when I try to take these fragments and make something real out of them. But yeah, yeah, and that's endlessly challenging. Yeah, um, and, and you know that you can go ahead and finish a song and think you've got it and release it and record it and play it live, and then it turns out no, you've kind of missed. Yeah, but yeah, I do my best. <laughs> well, yeah. and when you hit it just right, that creative process is so rewarding Mm -hmm. and when you get it and everybody knows you got it and you know you got it that's got to be so satisfying i mean i i feel like that about this stupid podcast even sometimes like when we (laughs) when i and actually it's not even about how other people respond to it because i don't ever really know how people respond to it because podcasting is weird like that unless someone reaches out and tells us but sometimes like we'll make an episode that i I just feel really, really good about, and yeah. it's uh, it keeps you going. Like you want to do that again. You want to recreate that feeling. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I heard an interview once with Gary Newman. I don't know if you know Gary mm-hmm. Newman, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I here in my car. Oh yes. yeah. I <laughs> Hold on, I'm getting some water because I need some water. Sure. Um, so that's what, that's what noise is. <laughs> so I was hearing this interview with Gary Newman about songwriting, and his approach is like if it doesn't come out fully formed or just slide out easily of his mind and onto the page or whatever, mm-hmm. he throws it away completely, never huh. to be played again. Wow. wow. And I'm so the opposite. I always feel like any time I sit down and make up a fragment that's the least bit compelling, I record it because I might be writing songs for a future me, you know, like right. I go back over all my music and there's all these breadcrumbs, these Casper songs just lying, you know, yeah. fallow right. um, that I didn't know were Casper songs because I didn't know I was going to be Casper. But right. <laughs> 20 or 30 years later, I'm taking fragments and like, oh, that was going to be a, you know, that was... That's wow. supposed to be a Casper song. And I love, you know, um, pushing them into final form and mm-hmm. ruthlessly kind of messing with them until they're uh, right. Yeah. And my, my brother, Tim, has actually started coming over. He's my younger brother, and um, he's a really good writer. And we've done about seven or eight sessions where he comes over and listens to what I'm working on and really helps me kind of uh, parse out what's being what's effective and what's ineffective about the songs and what the true story of the song is supposed to be. And, um, so the next few albums are going to have a lot of his influence there. Mm-hmm. We kind of become like a little songwriting duo. Oh. So that's been cool to, yeah. to, uh, connect with him and, uh, and, you know, get uh, some fresh perspective on what I'm doing after 15 records. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, wow. that's, that totally makes sense. So I know we we need to wrap up here pretty quick. I we had a couple listener questions, right, yeah. Micah? Do you want to ask those really quickly so that sure, yeah. no so, one's mad at us? Yeah. One of our listeners asked, um, "What song lyrics did Chris miss here as a kid?" As an example, <laughs> she said she mentioned dancing piranhas. She knows that they were passing piranhas in love, yeah. um, but she still sings it like that all these years later. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. 
Man, I did not miss many lyrics because I'm so into the lyrics mm. that, yeah, ly lyrics are huge for me. I, I feel like lyrics are like 70% of a song as far as what makes me feel excited about a song. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't have any. Wow. Because <laughs> I always really paid attention to the lyrics and I feel like I did have one. Oh, I can't think of it. My, my best friend, Dave Thiele, he had one. He thought the Beach Boys were singing Hiking Around instead of I Get Around. <laughs> <laughs> hiking around, hiking around. God. Oh, wait, wait, wait. God, I did have one recently. Oh, it was a Beatles. Oh, yeah. It's not a lyric necessarily, but at the end of a song on Let It Be, <laughs> what song is it? They say, um, Get Back. At the end uh -huh. of Get Back, he says, on behalf of the band and our, uh, behalf of the band and ourselves, or something, we hope we pass the audition. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I thought he said, <laughs> "On behalf of the juvenile seal, juvenile sills, <laughs> juvenile sills," which I think juvenile sills was an organization like a fundraising organization oh, when I was a kid. Oh, the juvenile okay. Sills. So I thought he said, "On behalf of the juvenile sills, I hope we pass oh, the audition," and he said, "On behalf of the band and ourselves, oh my god, that's I hope we pass." So and I good. just learned what he really said like Recently. last week wow right well that's so, you never this is after question a it. lifetime of listening to the beatles yeah so yeah well i don't know if you if you're a rancid fan but um we did an episode about the rancid uh, album that came out during our timeline also and you should revisit that album and not look at the lyrics and see if you um understand them <laughs> if you can understand because any of that yeah <laughs> that's mostly what our episode was about was laughing about the lyrics we misheard oh um, so more listener questions. Um, yeah, yeah. David wants to know about, um, I'm probably going to say these wrong because I don't think they're real words, um, <laughs> but the bass guitar and the git bass. You said them exactly perfect. <laughs> um, how did you guys start using those? Was it something that just happened or was it an intentional sound that you were going for? Yeah, I had, uh, for a couple of years, I didn't have very much money, and when I broke strings on my guitar, I couldn't replace them. So I ended up with a four-string <laughs> guitar that I played oh. for about a year. And I don't remember how I tuned it, but um, at some point, I met Mark Sandman from the band Morphine, mm -hmm. and he played a two-string slide bass. Mm -hmm. And he and I became fast friends, and when I was over at his house one time, he had a, uh, a version of his slide bass that was a guitar that you could fret with your fingers because his strings were elevated really high for the slide. Oh, So he had a version you could play with your fingers and I picked it up and I was just like, whoa, 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 this is <laughs> like exponentially better and this is like home and this is where I, <laughs> oh, this is where I'm supposed to be, this is it. And um, he gave me that instrument um, years later. So I, I have it now and I actually use it as a slide guitar on my Casper album. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was weird. About a year before he died, um, he mailed it to me with a note, uh, no explanation, no warning. It just showed up at my house and it had a note that said, you're in charge of this now. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. And so I had that. Um, That's cool. So he turned me on to the two string thing. And then I thought, well, let's do a three string version so you can do, you know, sevenths and minors and have a little more complexity. And then the trick was I got to find somebody who's willing to play a three string guitar. And Dave Dieterer. <laughs> Dave Dieterer, who I had played as a duo with in high school, we were called the Dukes of Pop. 
And we used to do coffee houses and stuff. And we actually did some president songs back then, like Tiki God was a song that we did. And back in the mid 80s. And uh, so he was willing to play the three strings. So, yeah, it kind of just felt really natural and good. And I noticed that if I took my influences, like if I tried to write a song that sounded like Kiss, but I played it on a two string. It definitely did not sound like Kiss, but it to me it sounded like Kiss. <laughs> and so we ended up, we ended up kind of. I ended up aping all these big rock influences, Led Zeppelin and Kiss and the Buzzcocks and the Sex Pistols, and but playing them on these dinky instruments made us sound unique and uh, fresh. But then I think somewhere under there, people were like, "Hey, this sounds, this feels familiar. This feels like you know mm-hmm. something else I know." So it was a way of filtering our influences, too, and coming up with something that felt fresh. Oh, cool. Nice. Cool. Uh, okay, last listener question. James asks, why did he do that nasty thing with the peach? Nasty thing with the peach? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't. Oh, like poke my finger I deep down inside? I think that that's what he's talking <laughs> yeah. about. I took a little nap with a little salt twist. Squished your rotten peach in my fist. And dreamed about you, a woman. His yeah. real question probably is, was that a euphemism? I'm I'm guessing. I'm speaking for James, but... It was both. Yeah. A euphemism and literally about peaches. <laughs> yeah. I uh, uh, had a crush on a girl, mm-hmm. and I finally was going to go to her house and tell her mm-hmm. about it, but I did what you generally do when you're about to do that, and I took LSD. Oh, God. <laughs> Are you kidding so me? I took the... Yeah, I took LSD and I went to her house to, you know, have a heart to heart. Oh my god. <laughs> and you got to picture her house. Her house was canary yellow with white trim, like the house the grandmother lives in that owns Tweety Bird in uh-huh. the Warner Brothers cartoons. Uh-huh. And it's in a neighborhood of like low single story beige industrial buildings. It's this very bizarre eyes or uh, you know, break for the eye from all this like uh-huh. dirty Boston industrial area and it's this, you know, yeah. bright yellow house and with a peach tree in front. And so she wasn't home and so I sat under her peach tree squishing rotten peaches in my fist mm. literally while tripping on acid. Oh, and she God. never showed up and so I took the frustrated uh, you know, sensation of not being able to tell her and yeah. wrote a song. Wow. And then Dave Dieterer came up with the whole end part, which is why it sounds like a different song. <laughs> yeah. Um Wow. And uh, yeah, but then, you know, so it's about sexual yearning. Yeah, sure. And drugs. Yep. So it's sex and drugs. Yep. And then and it literally peaches. is about sitting under a tree, smashing peaches in my fist. Right. So it's like a, a documentary and it's, <laughs> uh, you know, a metaphor. It's everything. It's sort oh. of like yeah. all the songs on that album, I imagine. Like if we had more time, I would love to ask the you know, the stories behind all of them. I'm, I will yeah. say I'm kind of relieved to hear she didn't show up like uh-huh. with you, yeah. like tripping on acid. Everyone's it probably, probably was relieved. a better experience for me and her that she didn't show up. It all worked yeah. out. You got yeah. an amazing yeah. hit yeah. single and yeah, exactly. Do you want to go grab the kids real quick? Yes, I do. Um, that is our son's favorite song right now. And so that'll be fun to, nice. um, I can't wait to tell him that story when he's a little bit older. <laughs> well, yeah, when he's a little bit older, yeah. But I'm going to go get them. Um, 
I want to thank you so much. This has been so much fun, but we do have two little special guests that want to say hi, who are big fans of yours. <laughs> awesome. Um, I have a question while he goes to get the kids, if you don't mind. No. It's just a sort of fun question. Are you and Sir Mix-a-Lot um, friends still? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I see Anthony uh, around. I just saw him. Actually, Katie and I, my wife does merchandise at my shows, uh-huh. and we were out at uh, a cheeseburger place near where Mix lives. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, there he was. He came up to our table. <laughs> he was there doing some sort of interview with somebody. And um, yeah, so I just saw him like, you know, two months ago at a cheeseburger joint and near his house. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. He's a, he's a great guy. Yeah. I really, really like Anthony and, uh, he's the one that sort of kicked, dragged me kicking and screaming into the world of, uh, recording on computers. Oh, yeah. I was, I was Mr. Cassettes for many years Ooh. and he's like, no, 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 you got to get into the, yeah, you got to get into the high tech and boy, it revolutionized everything. And so, yeah, yeah that's, to thank for that that's cool and well and you guys collaborated right but the album never came out yeah or... yeah we had a band subset yeah. and uh, it, it became a little tricky because uh you know well long story short yeah dave and jason kind of wanted to keep the thing a band you uh-huh. know like the sound of drums guitar and bass and mix and i wanted to push the sounds into you know like i said before working with every color in the paint box right so the common ground we had, which is why we called it subset, uh-huh. was about the where's the common ground between these disparate individuals. <laughs> uh, the common ground got microscopic, okay. and so yeah. it, it fell apart. Yeah, yeah. Bummer. Well, cool. Um, okay, so we have a person here who just wants to say hi real quick. Hi, person. <laughs> hi. <laughs> what is your name, person? Elliot. Hi, Mr. Baby Pants. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Elliot person. <laughs> what are you doing today? Oh, not much. Just like, I don't know. I was just up there playing video games and now ah, I'm... video games. What's, what's your favorite video game? Um, Rocket League. What's it called? Rocket League. Rocket League. Oh, cool. What do you do, what do, you do in Rocket League? It's car soccer. Car soccer? Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. I'm going to look it up right now. Rocket League. <laughs> Ooh, you could write Rocket. a song about it. Rocket League. Rocket League. Oh, yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Car soccer. It's kind of... Curveball mode. <laughs> He's going to get into it. I think that's what's going to happen, Elliot. Hold on. I'm going to watch... I like... I'm not a big gamer. I used to be, but I just can't do it anymore because it takes up so much time. Um, but I like watching people play games on YouTube. I, there's this channel, Elliot, that I love called Neebs Gaming, N-E-E-B-S. And they, do you ever, I don't know if your parents let you play Grand Theft Auto. I don't know how old you are, but that might be beyond your. <laughs> he's not, he's not there quite yet. He's nine, You're not there. Yeah. But when, when you get there, you yeah. gotta, well, also Neebs Gaming, they play all kinds of games. Um, and they are hilarious. They're four guys, and they're uh-huh. they're just so funny. <laughs> I've watched countless hours of Neebs gaming. So anyway, I appreciate the video game action. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been listening to your uh, album uh, from to your president's album that my dad put on the in the car a couple times. Yeah. Do you like it? Yeah. I like cool. peaches. 
Thank you. Both the song and the fruit. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. uh, I'm very proud of that record. I'm glad you like it. It really is good. (laughs) Okay. Well, we will let you go. I mean, we we could talk to you forever. And I we so appreciate the time that you've given us. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for helping me spread the word about the uh, the music. Oh yeah. Uh, Actually, yeah. Before we wrap up, can you just tell people um, where what you're doing and how people can find you and follow you and support you and all that? Sure thing. Um, as far as the presidents go, I think just you know the only real way you can uh, interact with us is to download our music on you know. Our, uh, iTunes or Amazon or play us on Spotify. We don't even have a um, website anymore. I think we have a Facebook page. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. But the Casper Baby Pants stuff is at babypantsmusic.com. And that's kind of the best way to get all the info you need about shows and upcoming albums and new videos and cool. whatever else is going on. And uh, I book my shows way out in advance because I do not tour. So um, mm-hmm. I put them up there six to eight months out. So if you want to come to Seattle, you can plan around a, uh, <laughs> yeah. a, a show. Yes. And they are a lot of fun. Yeah. They are joyful and wonderful and yeah, and you know, uh, yeah, you are you are putting a lot of joy out into the world, and you've been doing that for twenty five years plus, and we appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay, so thank you to our listeners uh, as always, and thank you to Graham McRae for our artwork. Thank you to Fifi Folios for our internet stuff. Thanks to Minus Violet for our music. Until next time. See, see you in the nineties.